Hey everyone, welcome back to Make Money Behave. Quick intro to today's episode. I recently had the pleasure of sitting down and having a heart-to-heart conversation with a beautiful woman named Angie Chelly. Her story is fantastic and she has so much to share with the world. In fact, she has her own podcast called Reflections with Angie, where she shares a lot of her own life stories and, and some of the messages that she's learned along the way. After having had a really long conversation, and just kind of understanding a little bit more about Angie's story, I asked her if she would be willing to let me record a conversation between her and I, just because I thought there would probably be some really great nuggets in there that you guys could benefit from. She agreed to do that, and of course the episode is going to be broken up into two separate episodes because we talked for almost an hour, uh, and there was probably so much more we could have talked about after that. This is not a typical Make Money Behave interview, but I, like I said, I really do believe that there are some great nuggets to be had in here, especially if you are trying to figure out a little bit more about redefining your purpose and understanding you know, how to prioritize things and what happens when a huge event happens in your life and you weren't really prepared for that financially, emotionally, and mentally. You guys, I hope you enjoy the next two episodes. And without further ado, I introduce you to Angie Chelly. Angie Chelly, thank you so much for being here with me today. I am so honored that you're willing to take the time and chat with me a little bit today about just a lot of things that you've gone through and the things that I know that we have in common in terms of like one of my things is putting money where your why is and you have really shown me how important it is to understand what somebody's real passion is and how to help them get that money and their money plan in alignment with that particular passion and goal so i would i love the fact that you're willing to talk with my audience today about some of the stuff that you've done and and how you've gone about that and again i just appreciate you being here well, first of all, Marie, I consider it a privilege that you asked me to interview with you today. And um, I can pretty much just give you my life in a nutshell. So I'm not the typical person who has lived in the States and lived the normal life. Um, in the year 2000, I faced a near-death experience, which caused me to really focus on my career at that time. And I focused on my career and I uh, made a lot of money and did a lot with my money and I traveled the world. However, I married a man by the name of Dave who changed my life. And because of him, it started the transition of moving from permanence to uh, moving to quite a few countries. Uh, Because of that, I've had a lot of experiences and my health has been challenged living in other countries. But the reason why I even started a podcast with Reflections with Angie was regarding my dogs, my dogs who traveled everywhere with us. My dogs have never, were never separated from Dave and I, and they traveled all, you know, they had dog passports and they traveled all over the world with us. No, please, I'm going to stop you for just a second, Angie. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I believe that when we talked before, you mentioned that your dogs weren't necessarily a part of your life before the near-death experience. Is that accurate? Yes, that is correct. And in fact, I think you said you weren't much of a dog person to begin with. Yeah. Never a dog person. (laughs) Thank you for for that. Because I was not a dog person. I remember that. um, So I kind of like things a little bit more organized and clean. And I thought Mm -hmm. a dog would really add a dynamic that I didn't want in my household. So I was never a fond. I like dogs, but Mm -hmm. I didn't want them in my house. Mm Mm-hmm. That quickly changed. So the dogs were never a permanent place in my life. I was so focused on, I had um, been focused on my career and I made quite a name for myself. So I wasn't focused on anything but me. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and then shortly after my husband and I got married, a dog was never even a discussion. It was not something we even, a subject we ever broached at all. And then we moved. So we moved to Phoenix. And that's a desert experience all by itself. And that can be a desert experience for a girl who's been in a position where she's had a career, a home, and everything as a single person. And then to transition in marriage, which is a big jump, merging your finances together, which you and I have talked about what that looks like. And then being in a desert experience. And I faced uh, some health crisis during that desert experience. And that's what brought the dogs to our household. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I started my business and what I'm doing is because I wanted to reach out to people who struggle, however they struggle, from point A to point B, whether it's psychologically, because that is my background, or you know, are they facing a move? Can I use my travel experience to enlighten them on what it's like to live in cultures? And really it's it's all about dogs for me. It's all about, you know, people who have the pain of loss. That's that's kind of what I did. So after my dogs passed away, it was all about loss for me. And how could I best honor them and their legacy and what they brought to my life and other people's life living in other cultures. So that's it in a nutshell. Wow. I'm sure that people listening are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, tell me more because I've heard the story, but the other people have not heard the story. And you just went from near death experience to life, to having dogs, to losing them and what that looked like and starting a whole, you know, whole movement all in like four minutes. And so (laughs) tell us, fill in some of the details about just the emotional side. What did those dogs mean to you when you say I was in a desert, right? So there were obviously, I'm guessing that that's not just a physical desert, but there was probably, Mm -hmm. right. It is a metaphor. There's probably some emotional desert stuff going on. And you said that the dogs kind of came into your life at that time. Tell us a little bit about what, what that meant for you. Why, why, would, why were they so important? So when I arrived in Phoenix, I didn't know anybody. So any of you who have known, I've had, you know, when you're in a career-focused mentality, you know what your purpose is. You know you own a home. You're driven by what speaks volumes to you as to what your value is. So you relocate. You move to a place that you don't know anybody you're not established, you have no friends, no career choices. And I knew I had to, re- had to reinvent myself. But because of my um, position in leaving um, my foundation, I really, I didn't have a foundation and I was kind of searching. So I called it a desert experience is literally moving to a desert is a desert, but your thirst is never quenched. You can't mm. quite find your groove. You don't know where you fit. And because I had, in the year 2000 was really when I had my major crisis in my health. So I was basically given three months to live. I mean, excuse me, three days to live after being in a hospital hooked to a central line for three and a half months. So talk about a desert again. So if you're locked in a hospital in a hyperbaric chamber, you really have no contact with people. And if you do have contact with people, it's usually healthcare workers and minimal visits from people. And you face a real, for somebody who's like me, is a type A, I got to get everything done. I got to get it done now. (laughs) And very, very driven personality to have been shut down so quickly. You just, you have to make a decision. Am I going to live or am I going to surrender to the disease? Well, there's a fighting spirit that comes in all of us human beings. And we have to decide when we're met with a crisis, what are we going to do? So 
I obviously, I'm sitting here with you after the year 2000, it's now 2020 or 2020, and we're looking at life now. And I wondered then what my purpose was. I thought it was me being driven and accomplishing a lot and using the accolades to give me a reward system. Then I married somebody that I deeply love, who I still love to this day, deeply. And he said, hey, there's adventure involved. Are you on board? Okay, I'm game. Up until you have to move and sell your house and change your life. (laughs) That became a real desert. So I didn't know what the thirst and the quenching were until I went through that. In the middle of this move and repositioning and buying a home. So we moved into a brand new development with only two homes in it. So again, no place to really get a connection with people. And we moved into this home. I then faced an additional health crisis due to what happened to me in the year 2000. Now this is in 2004 okay. when I moved there. And so uh, something came up again and it was quite serious. And they told me that I needed to get to the hospital right away. I'm leading you down the path to my dogs. Mm -hmm. So they sent because uh, we were uh, at an Air Force base there. Instead of trying to find a hospital to locate me at, they sent all of my medical records to the health facility hospital on base. So I go, as I'm waiting to broach the gate to get on base, I notice that there's a pen with this is Phoenix, mind you, it's well over a hundred degrees. And there's Mm -hmm. a pen where I see two huskies, two adult huskies and four puppies. It intrigued me. It got my mind going. I'm like Mm -hmm. looking over there and going, what is that guy doing with the dogs out in this hot weather? He was, I was going in through the housing gate. And so obviously there had the dogs positioned there. They're only allowed to have two animals on base. So they get rid of the puppies. They're not going to get rid of their adult huskies. And so as I pulled forward, I noticed how cute and adorable Huskies were. Now, I knew nothing about that breed. The dogs I grew up with were basically mutts, uh, no specific breed, always larger dogs, not little dogs. And we did have a German Shepherd as a child. So I saw the puppies, but I drove past. I went and picked up my medical records, but there was something drawing me back to that pen. I can't explain it. It was a force I could not reconcile with. I just said, I got to go see it. As I was driving towards them, I noticed that there was one specific puppy I was drawn to. I looked at him, but a woman had picked him up. And I was like, she picked him up. She's going to take him. I didn't get a chance to go see him yet. I don't even know what drew me to that. But as I pulled up and was getting out of my vehicle, he literally leaped out of her arms and jumped into towards me. So Mm -hmm. I grabbed him to pick him up. I'm going to define this to you the only way I know how. It is as if God himself sent a jolt down my body because as I picked him up and embraced him, I have never felt such a compelling, unconditional love in my life. And I, I'm a person of faith and I really do believe, but that moved me like I've never experienced before. Wow. Couldn't let him go. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to let him go. And so I stayed with him for quite a while. I didn't even care about getting to the hospital. I didn't even care about delivering my medical records. I lost my mind for a minute and was immersed. And what I was presented with was a gift. Little did I know that he was my purpose. I did not know that. He moved me to a desert experience so that I could really find what my real purpose was. That it wasn't all about me. It wasn't all about accolades. It wasn't about all the money I was making. It was really what's my purpose. And, and, crazy thing is you don't think it's going to be a dog. I mean, Mm -hmm. I didn't know, 
but you know, I was asking God for a lifeline. I'm like, I'm here and I'm stranded and I have no one close to me, no hospitals, no friends, no nothing. And I'm facing this crisis again. And I don't know if I'm going to live or die. And it's that serious. And so I, it changed my life. He gave me purpose. So I remember calling my husband, Dave and saying, telling him I had this dog in my hand. And I said, I found a dog. And he goes, you found a what? <laughs> and I said, I found a dog. And he goes, what do you mean you found a dog? And I, he goes, you're supposed to be getting your medical records. And I said, I'm over on this side of the base. I've got my medical records. And he said, what kind of dog is he? And I said, he's a Siberian Husky. And he goes, uh, we live in Phoenix. You know that he's going to have to come in, right? He can't stay outside. And I go, I don't care. He can come in the house. And he's like, are you really serious? Are you really wanting to do this? You have real medical crisis coming up. Should we really do this? And I told him what the dog would cost. And he said, if you can come up with the money, after you get your records done and you find out from the doctors what's going on, we can go back and get him. Little did I know that once I arrived at the hospital that it was serious, but it wasn't as serious as it was implied mm -hmm. over an email. So needless to say, we brought Ty home. That's what we named him. And that little, what I call puppy boy, changed my life. He was all paws and all ears with blue eyes. And I, that was it. And if I could have given birth to him, I probably would have because I <laughs> loved him that much. And I didn't know that a dog could really make that significant change, but it wasn't even a dog. It was about the gift and the life lesson and my purpose for being on this earth. And I didn't even see what my future entailed. Once my husband retired from the military, his future job would take us around the world. And little did I know that by moving into cultures as a Westerner, people do not treat their dogs the same in other countries. Right. So moving into culture, I moved into a position where I treated my dog like a Westerner would. I was an oddity to people, but they were intrigued. And because they were intrigued, they wanted to learn more. I started a dog rescue with some other people in other countries to rescue some animals from some deplorable situations they were in. But I would not have done that had I not had a dog, if I had not had the experience of loving this dog. Right. Now, I'm going to take you back just for one minute. Okay. The reason why this dog meant so much to me, and I remember bringing him home, and I was laying, my husband was like, he, well, he's not coming in our bedroom. He's going to have to stay in a kennel in the laundry room. Where do you think I slept? I didn't even go to bed more. I parked some blankets in next to that camel and I stayed with him. Like a good mommy would next to her baby, right? I'll, I will tell you, I have four kids. I have never, I've never ever slept next to them in the laundry room. Just letting you know. Okay, okay. So the truth be told. So, and I remember making him a promise then, and this will have some significance later in our interview, is that I told him that he gave me a reason to live. He gave me a reason to live. He gave me a purpose to get up every morning and conquer whatever it was that was hindering me health-wise. And that I would do whatever I needed to do to save him in his time of need. I didn't realize how prophetic those words were much later, but that plays a significant part in my life because people will go to any length to save what they value. When you take care of a loved one, it's never a burden. It's always a privilege. And little did I know that back then, even though my husband didn't see me as a burden through my health crisis, my dog certainly thought I was awesome and wonderful and didn't see me as a burden. But it taught me a life lesson I didn't know had I not had that rich experience. Mm. 
Wow, that is just such an amazing story, Angie. And and there's so much to unpack there. And I yeah. normally I would probably take notes so I remember things like, oh, I want to say this and I want to say that. And I'm so en- engaged that I have not taken notes. So uh, forgive me if I forget what it, what it was that I wanted to, I didn't want to interrupt you, but it's like, oh, what about this? Um, so a <laughs> couple of things. One is it sounds like, and you actually said in your own words that, the dog was not necessarily the purpose, but it gave you purpose. And, and so like God placed that tie in your life to remind you that you are loved, to remind you that you are needed, to remind you that you are not, you are not the son of the universe, right? You are not the the thing that the universe uh, revolves around. You needed that, (laughs) right? You needed that little bit of a humble reminder, it sounds like, and you got it. And it sounds like you got it in a very profound way. You you used the verbiage, uh, I think it was something like a jolt of lightning, you know, that, I mean, that's, that's some pretty strong language right there. And if you have that experience that you're like, okay, I will do anything to, to help this animal and to stay, whether it's to preserve his life longer or to keep him out of pain. I love what you said about, um, how did you say it? I think it was to serve or to take care of someone is a blessing, not a burden. Or, or yeah, it's honor. never what? a burden. It's a privilege. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I knew you would say it better than I remembered um, that it's a privilege to take care of a loved one. And I know, I know just based on the people that I've worked with, especially in now, I don't know what your entire background is. I, I believe you have a Hispanic background, correct? Correct. Okay. So my husband is Hispanic as well. And I, I know that and my mom is Italian, so in that culture, in lots of cultures, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or if it's a generational thing. I, I don't really know. I'm only forty something, and so you know, I've, I've lived through a couple, you know, I'm one generation, and just I've seen other past generations. But I don't know if it's a cultural thing or generation. Maybe you can shed some light on that for me. There's just this sense of taking care of your your elder, right? And sometimes really? even to the point of moving in with them and, and like the whole nursing home thing was just like that was that was something to not even be I don't know, when was that created? Yeah. <laughs> it was probably right. just a few decades ago, right? Where that yeah. became something popular. Um and so do you know if it's more cultural or if it's more generational? I, or is I it a combo? My my father was German, my mom okay. was Mexican. So I bring, you know, both of those cultures are basically very driven and go to any length you can to take care of something that's, whether it's opposing your life or inputting your life, you go Mm -hmm. to great lengths. As a Hispanic, you're always taught family comes first, even if there's bad family rules, Mm -hmm. family comes first. Uh, The thing about don't tell our secrets, I always bashed against that. (laughs) <laughs> but really what it is, it's you're, you lock in tight. It's that tight thing where you don't break anything apart, including family. So yes, obviously that played a really strong role in what I experienced later in life. But I think with Hispanic people, you're just very driven. Like think the concept of putting your parent in a nursing home is beyond like, it's beyond reproach. Like people would turn their nose up at you and think that you are the most cold hearted person. Even if you're living in modern America, how could you do that? Your loved one sacrificed for you. Therefore you sacrifice for them and you keep the cultures immersed. Now, do I think that's a best practice? 
uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you when we were going through our journey of just trying to get all of our debt paid off and get back onto a track that was going to be in alignment with what was really important to us, there were a lot of things that happened in mostly in my husband's family. He had tragically he lost his brother uh, just out of nowhere. It was just like one wow. minute one minute he was fine and then the next minute he was gone um, wow. and he has, he lost his father and so there were a lot of things that kind of happened and we were still pretty young in our marriage probably I don't know we were probably this is probably 10 years ago now so we had only been married about you know six seven years something like that just trying to figure each other out and I remember there being a very strong expectation that we would come hell or high water find a way to whether it was donate money or you know make sure that we uh, were able to travel like actually one of them got buried in Mexico we had no passports we had a, a newborn wow. baby uh, so she was only six months old three months old. She was only three months old, I think, at the time. So we got this tiny little baby passport for her, Aww. and we had to get everything expedited. And so, we, I mean, we're talking thousands of dollars in order to make that happen and, and overnight, right? Because this whole thing happened overnight. Surprise. Right. Right, right. And it, it was very difficult for us emotionally to to find that balance between making sure that we were respectful, that we were still honoring the people mm -hmm. who we wanted to honor and that we were still very loving and giving, but at the same time, not completely throwing ourselves off of a track that we knew was going to ultimately be detrimental for us. So then mm -hmm. even if we knew we could get back on track, it was, it was a, a very emotionally, it was an emotional struggle. I think it's probably the only way to, to really say it, to try to figure out who we are and what we want to do. And so I think that the fact Especially that you, for you not being immersed in that culture, that was probably a big learning curve for you as well. It was, I mean, I think it, it was and it wasn't a, a complete learning curve. The monetary part was a complete learning curve because like <laughs> I said, my mother comes from a Sicilian background. And so my great grandmother actually lived with my grandmother from the time that her husband passed away at a very, wow. very young age. And so wow. we saw, we saw how cultures would bring people in and not, you know, to send them away to Possibly be on their own. Time. That's right. So I saw that piece of it, but I mean, I was growing up. I didn't know any of the finances. And again, that's something that most people don't talk about. So I don't really know how all of that happened. I don't know what the ins and outs are uh, for their um, financial stuff. But I had never been, no matter what that was, I had never been asked to be a part of that. That probably would have been more like my mother. Uh, so my, what, what you don't really know, maybe you do, I don't know how much I've told you, but my husband is about, um, he's the same age as me, he's a little bit younger, but he's the baby of seven kids and I'm the eldest of five. And so they're literally oldest child, youngest child. Yes, yes. But there's literally a full generational gap between our parents. So like his mom and dad were about the same age range as my grandparents. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So all of the things that my grandparents would have gone through, I would not have had any of that financial burden that would have fallen on my parents. Correct. But he's the kid. He was the son in a lot of this. And so, but the he son plays a big role right, right here. But because he was so young, he was dealing with things that were it, like a different generation almost and doing it at an age that he was really just trying to figure out his own life. And so I, I think that was probably one of the different dynamics that was there. Um, but I bring all of that up because I know that money itself, a lot of times we think that it is, um, 
I don't know, a lot of people say, you know, worshiping money is a problem and it's the root of all evil and love, but it's really the love of money. That's the root of all evil, right? Not money itself. Money, money doesn't have any, I mean, it's, it's just a form of transaction is what it is. It's, you know, exchange. That's right. Um, but what it represents for each individual, I think is really, really interesting. And it's telling. So if you've got somebody who is super, super greedy anyway, and they get a lot of money, they're going to just be extra greedy with that money. They're going to mm-hmm. hang on to they're it. Tight. Hoard it close That's it. right. And they're not going to do anything good with it. Right. When, when we talk about numbers though, it's like, yeah, we can, we can add up a thousand dollars plus this, plus this. And do you have enough coming in to to cover your expenses. We can talk about that, but we're never really going to find out who that person is and what they really represent. And so when you were making a lot of money, you said, I was, I was very gold driven. I was making a lot of money at the accolades. Like the money was a representation of your success. It sounds exactly. like, exactly. okay. When, when you weren't making any money, you had to have this complete switch, this new identity, by the way, I've never told you that your story almost I mean, without the near-death experience, almost completely mimics my story. We also got, we also moved from a regular location to the desert. I knew nobody. I had, I had a career. I put that on hold when I had my second daughter. And so I had to redefine who I was. And I feel like I'm still doing that, <laughs> to, be, to be entirely honest. <laughs> um, but there, I, so when I hear you say that, I'm like, oh, I get it. I, and that whole thirst for quen, you know, that, that uh, your thirst is never quenched in the desert. That was like, yes, that I totally understand that. And there needed to be that God moment that happens for us. Um, I feel like I'm rambling and I don't want to do that. I want to just drive home the point that when you, when you switched, money became something um, a lot less, it wasn't about the accolades anymore. It presented something, it represented something that was like, I can use this for the betterment of something. And in this, in the example you've given, you're using it for the betterment of Ty's life. And I know Sasha came around at some point. Am I saying her name? Lena. Lena. Oh, Lena. I apologize. Yeah, that's right. So I'm going to, I'm going to direct you on one thing. So when you have a near death experience, your life changes. You're no longer looking at the same values you had before. So you are correcting your statement about, it wasn't just about the money. The money followed my success because I was tracking. Um, I was on a, headed on a very solid career path. And so the accolades came with it. And I think I was drawn more to the accolades, but sure, I love the money mm-hmm. because I'm a very giving person. So when you have money and you have that giving type personality, so my love language is gift giving. I give a lot, not because I expect anything in return. It's because I get the joy of giving. And when you have success, it builds your confidence, correct? Mm -hmm. But it changes the dynamics in how you operate because you know that you have access to things that other people don't. So it lends you to give away without people knowing it's you. So the accolades were really important to me. But when I merged my household with my husband and I suddenly have no funds except a retirement account and a little bit of savings left, we literally sold my house and took all of that money and put it into the house that we purchased to make it affordable. So I thought, great investment. Little did I know what desert experience would mean for me. Mm -hmm. So not only did I step away from the accolades, the career, the moneymaker, redefining myself takes a whole different dynamic. Now let's address finances. Suddenly I'm dependent on my husband's income. Mm -hmm. That didn't go well for me. 
One, I don't like people telling me what to do. It's that oldest child mentality coming from a Hispanic background that says, oh, no, no, no. I know how to be competitive. I know how to survive. I know how to do whatever. Because as children, we were poor. We didn't have the advantage of having a lot of money. So you find ways to be creative. But when we merged, it was a bigger adjustment for me to have to be dependent on someone Mm -hmm. and dependent on the money. And to be really honest, I didn't have to budget much before. Suddenly I'm budgeting and I'm trying to decide, do we really need this in our household? Now we're buying a new house. Did I think about not pouring everything into that one investment and all the furniture and all the things I would need? Sure. We brought all of our stuff. He combined his household, my household. We filled the house, but there were so many other dynamics financially that came with that. Shortly after we arrived and I find out that I'm sick, I'm already interviewing for jobs and have hopes of having another job. And then they find, and then I get this email that says, oh no, sister, you're going back down that road again. I then realize I can't contribute anymore. Mm-hmm. What does that say about my value in this marriage? It didn't say anything to him because he loved me and wanted me to be okay. But my defining moment was learning not only one, changing my value system after you have a near death. My second value system got challenged again because now I'm living in a desert experience where I have nothing to contribute. I have to really define what's important to me. And I think the reason why that dog came to me was not only the gift that God gave me for survival, but he taught me how to love unconditionally. And it's not all about me. And that I can allow people and things to surround me without having any expectations. Suddenly, I didn't mind the money adjustment. Was it comfortable for me? No, but I didn't mind it because I was, I was learning a whole lot about love that I never allowed myself to feel before. Mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds like when you, you said twice, and again, I'm not taking notes, so I'm going to completely botch what you just said, but it was along the lines of, I didn't have anything to contribute anymore. And then you said something that was similar to that, but it was this exact same idea. Right. And and so that, what that says to me is that in your mind, subconsciously, you believe the only contribution that you could have brought was financial. Correct. That is such a difficult thing for us to get over. And, and us, I mean, any, really anybody, at least in, in America, if there is, there's not a love of money necessarily, but there, again, it, it represents like, what can we do with that? And if we don't have that we kind of feel like we're not contributing anymore. And for, for me, I understand that you go from, yes, I am contributing that way to the idea I don't contribute anything. And that's so not true, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, you're contributing a whole lot of things. It's just not something that is tangible. And I right. think that's what, like money seems to be that tangible thing. One of the things that you absolutely could contribute was that unconditional love. And so it just, and, and honestly, you were doing that when you were married to Dave before Ty came into your life, you were already contributing that, which is why he didn't think that you weren't contributing anything. Correct. Which is what you said. But you needed that, that jolt of lightning to look at you and go, this is not just a contribution, it's a worthy contribution. And it's enough.